so in the other visits here we've uh, explored the three first noble truths that might seem really far away it's been months of this no? so we explored the first noble truth of uh, dukkha the difficulties of being uh, a human being of being in this life you know, it's just to reassure us that it's not our fault or just the fault of other or a certain God that would be against us. That <laughs> when things are not exactly as we want them to be or drastically not as we want them to be, it seems like it's part of nature. There's something in the fabric of the universe that was not made exactly to fit, fit our needs and wants. You know, it has its own rules. And so there's a side of it that is challenging for human beings being in a body for example becomes revealed when we're sitting for a few minutes you know suddenly oops gets tired or uncomfortable having a heart or a mind also might be revealed in the silent sitting suddenly you want it to be very calm and it starts to rehash visit uh, fear the future it creates all kinds of scenarios everything So the, the truth, uh, the noble truth of dukkha, of unsatisfactoriness, of the, the, the challenges of being a human being. And then the cause, we talked about this, it's a lot around clinging, how our mind wish it to be otherwise. You know, take it personal, why me? You know, and how, how much this adds stress to us. You know, like gets that's not what I wanted, or it gets fixated on. It should have been otherwise, you know. But that's not what happened. But it should have happened otherwise, you know. How the mind will cling to kinds of things or identify, this is me, I'm young. No, I'm young, I want to stay young, you know. <laughs> As the whole thing is fading away. No! <laughs> you know, how we, uh, we will identify with, with things that are changing, you know, appearing and disappearing. We think it's us, ours, you know, but ah. So the, the truth, the second truth of the cause of suffering, the clinging to, uh, you know, a different reality. And then the, the, the third noble truth is the truth of the end of suffering. In the Buddhist teaching it says, oh, and it's possible in that reality to have a heart that is open and that is... Uh, envy, comparing, jealousy, despair is maybe uh, extra. Maybe there's a way that we can meet the world fully in its own terms. And we can see right away that the, the, there's going to be a practice that's going to be suggested <laughs> because it's not automatic. Okay, let me be fine with the whole deal. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to be in control. And Okay, accept. You know. <laughs> That's why there's the fourth noble truth of the path, you know. In the Buddhist practice we say there's a path. It's possible to, to find uh, some kind of ease or resolution or malleability of heart and mind so that we can live in such a world, you know. And uh, there's a path, there's a practice for it. And actually the beauty of it is I can talk about this and it's going to be idea, it's going to be kind of uh, informative, so it has some kind of worth, not much, but some, <laughs> you know, because uh, the path is a lot through insight, through experiencing. So the path 
in the few minutes before I rang the bell, we were actually walking on it by paying attention. We were actually completely <coughs> on the path. On every aspect of the path were there. They were invited in the meditation. Through the paying attention, that's how we're going to learn how we tighten and what it feels like in a visceral way to actually make space for what is there anyway, right? And so it's very experiential, this path. It's by sitting here and being stuck with an opinion that I'll notice that opinions, when we cling to them, hurt, you know, that maybe I can have a view, but without the charge around it, you know, that maybe I could have a preference, but that I maybe by not clinging to it, by releasing it a little bit, it's easier. So, for example, if when the meditation starts, I start thinking, I would have preferred that this would have happened this morning instead of what happened, and you know, you go back to this, and the mind is clinging to an, you know, an opinion or a preference. In the practice, by sitting in the middle of it, it's kind of, co- in a way, costly, yeah? because we sit in the middle of the mind obsessing and returning to this mind. You're trying to just be there, with the sound, with the breath, whatever the teacher is naming, you know. But it keeps coming back to, but this morning they really did say that or did not say that, you know. And so by soaking in this, by noticing the mind returning and the heart contracting around this, there there will be what we call insight. At some point we'll, we'll notice for ourselves deeply how this is painful, a painful way to be, to get stuck. You know, to, and at some point, maybe out of this pain of clinging can arise compassion. Oh, my love, it's so hard to like be stuck around this. It <coughs> didn't go as you wanted. Could we go to the sadness now <laughs> of the loss of what could have been a good life this morning and wasn't? You know, could we allow this to have happened? You know, yes, it didn't go according to plan. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let me feel it now. Oh my God, I feel so much better. <laughs> Noticing that actually the same thing happened. But the mind state is different. I'm able to allow it to be, because it was anyway, you know. And then I can relax into it a little bit and say, okay, so this is what happened, this is what I, I said, or this is what the other said, or didn't say, or whatever. This is how it is. Okay, what am I going to do about this now? From a sp- from a place of more space. So that, in a way, we could say this is the path. This is the path to liberation from suffering, from the extra stress. But there's other ways to talk about this, of course. There's one way that I'll I'll use to present the whole big, what we call eightfold path or middle path. That's the... Buddhist path to awakening, uh, liberation. And uh, there's a, a way that I, it talks to me, so it might talk to you also. So through the practice of meditation, amongst other things, the practice of meditation, amongst other things, allowed me to discover that there was confusion in this heart and mind. Just sitting there, you know, where I'm asked to, can you just sit and be there for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and there's no challenge, nothing to do, just sit there. And I've noticed over the years that this mind can produce a lot of drama and become epic about, yeah, but I need to, you know, do this better, or, you know, I've been somebody else, or I hope I will be, and, you know, all these complexity. So I, I, I've noticed, one thing I've noticed is that there is confusion in this being. 
It's not easy for this being to meet the world in a simple way, to just be there, like, okay, let's breathe, okay, let's breathe. Maybe more and more now it's possible. But often it's not. Things get complexified. You know, I recall stuff, I create stuff. I, I can even create traumatic events that have not occurred <laughs> and probably won't, you know, but still, you know. And so by seeing the confusion in this heart, one understanding that I have is that, wow, so, you know, I, I just sit here and I can want things at all costs, you know, really believing that my happiness will be when I will get that, or that I have to get rid of this at all costs, and I'm moved in all these ways just by sitting here. And so the system I want to present is a system of um, defense from confusion in three layers. That would be a way to talk about the Buddhist path. And so the first layer that we use is the layer of ethics. Very important. We say, although there is, there is confusion here about what will lead to happiness, and sometimes it thinks like, my happiness lies in having this, obtaining this, I will create some boundaries for myself. So the boundaries of ethics are commitment to not hurt intentionally, not lie intentionally, not take what is not offered, not abuse with uh, sexual energy, gets very precise. The Buddha was very insightful, knew that he had to make that one very clear for a few of us, you know. <laughs> we needed really, like, clear things, you know. It's just not, don't, the first one says, don't hurt intentionally, but suddenly says, okay, don't take, don't take what is not offered. Oh, let me precise the first one about not hurting. Don't hurt with your sexuality. Although you might, you know, be drawn to, it might feel like, you know, your happiness lies in obtaining this, you know, that maybe you can actually, not maybe, it's urgent, extremely important that you stop and, so for your own happiness, if you're looking for happiness, make uh, rules for yourself, and then we'll take care of the heart and mind after, but let's start by making out, kind of outer rules, you know, agreement, <coughs> I'm, I'm not gonna uh, take intoxicant to cloud things, I actually want to get closer to reality and learn to be with it. So I'm not going to cover reality intentionally with uh, intoxicants, right? So, uh, and uh, I'm not going to abuse with my speech also. That's, uh, you know, understanding that speech is extremely powerful. It can destroy life, it can uh, unite, it can heal. That knowing this, knowing that there's confusion inside of me sometimes, great anger or hatred arises, great greed arises, confusion about what really happened, what is what, I'm actually going to be really careful with my speech. So I like that version of uh, let's put outside boundaries so that when I'm about to say something, because I think that, let's say, my views are distorted, I'm not wise. I really think that when you perceive me in a certain way, I'll be happy. So in order to be perceived in a certain way, I'm actually going to change reality and present myself in a certain way. So I'm going to use speech to hide reality so that you can see me in a certain way and love me, and then I'll feel like, okay, now I'm happy. This person perceives me in this way. That is deluded. But I think a lot of us suffer from that kind of delusion. you know. And so the first line I, that I put out is, oh... Actually, when I'm about to lie like this, it's going to be a little like, ding, 
like on the telephone, you know. About to lie, about to lie, check your beliefs. Is there intense greed going on about like my happiness lies in not being, you know, something like this, you know, or oops, about to take something that is not offered freely, about to abuse of a, you know, there's nobody around, they won't know, they don't care, uh, I have the right to this, my life has been hard, you know, whatever, you know, and taking something that is not uh, offered, you know. Or we could bring it further in, in the ways that we consume as, uh, you know, uh, maybe many of us uh, privileged people from the West, you know, how uh, how we, uh, we tend to... to uh, many of us, especially white people, we tend to t take a lot of space, you know, a lot of uh, media space, a lot of space space, land space, a lot of uh, resources, you know, to actually start to think about this, how we, uh, how we, uh, we might actually be taking a little bit more than what is wise, you know. And so there's a reflection around this. What, what, what kind of space do I use here that is not... Uh, it's not appropriate for a whole system, planet system. You know? So, so the teachings of the Buddha are very strong around ethics, and it's in the form of inquiry to be aware, to bring mindfulness. The mindfulness we're developing here, paying attention, is actually to be to see a little bit the impact we have on others, how our uh, beliefs uh, make us act in certain ways. Yeah. So, uh, so that's uh, one uh, one. Uh, aspect of the practice, the path, the Buddha said, oh, you want to be happy? Check this. Check this out. How, how you use your sexuality, how you use your speech, how you, uh, how you use stuff to cover your... Uh, uh, like on retreat in the two last weeks, I find it very interesting. When we start the retreat, we ask people to put down their devices, telephones and mm -hmm. such, you know. And for many of us, it's such an intoxicant. You know, we... You know, we totally like zone out. We go in there, we get lost in there, and uh, it covers reality for us. It's not actually bringing us closer to reality. It makes us uh, beings of uh, uh, coping mechanisms on wi on legs. You know, like we're always like little anxiety about uh, check the telephone, little you know, little boredom, check the telephone, little uncertainty, check the telephone, you know, <laughs> etc. You know. And so we can spend hours playing meaningless games in order to avoid, uh, avoid just feeling life, you know, this feedback loop that I was talking about in order to, you know, when teacher was saying modern uh, laziness is agitation, is being too busy, you know, that's, that's like, I don't want to feel whatever it is that, you know, a little uncertainty, a little confusion. You don't want to feel this, so get very busy, you know. So how, you know, you might think like, oh, intoxicant, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. I don't use drugs, no. Okay, what, what is your drug of choice, TV? You know, what else, you know, there's some, there might be something. Not to be judgmental, but honest, to say like, oh, actually, yeah, it's true. There's a dependence here. There's an addiction. There's a, there's a way to avoid life by using this, you know, and then start to play with this. Oh, can I actually put this down for a second and not go there and just feel, <gasps> wow, 
And maybe you have the chance to develop courage, honesty, the capacity to be in the middle of life. You know. So that's one, uh, on the path, it's very, uh, it's a whole field, the field of integrity and ethics. And so you can read about this and uh, study more of this if you want this aspect, because that's really related to happiness here. And there's another, um, I hope this presentation, there's many ways to present the Buddhist path. This is the way it, uh, it goes today. Another way to, um, another line of defense uh, that we have in this practice is uh, what we could call concentration. So, um, although there can be a lot of confusion fusion in this system, there's a, a way where I can actually sit down and say, let bring attention to the breath. Or maybe in the yoga, many of you here do yoga. So bring full attention to the body that is moving or in the uh, resting in a posture and pay uh, complete attention to this. And so let go of the entire world and uh, let the mind get really, um, really in close, close contact with one phenomena, one event. The classic one is the breath in meditation. So just putting the attention only here, only here. Or mantra, repeating a phrase or looking at the candlelight or something like this. And in this practice, it's really one of the tools we have. So by doing this, the mind can gather instead of being scattered. And when the mind is scattered, you, often it will go towards what? When it's a little bit over there, it will go through uh, to reactivity. You know, because it's all over the place, it will start hating this and wanting this and fearing this. And, and so that's a lot of trouble. And in the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha said, you can actually bring your mind, give your mind the task to really meet the breath and stay with that. For example, that one, or metta, those of you who know this practice of uh, loving kindness, sending wishes of well-being, can say, think of one person, you might see them, and keep sending that, instead of being scattered, past, future, this, what if that, considerations of all kinds, just keep your mind uh, thinking of one person and sending them love. May you be happy, may you be peaceful. So gather the mind, gather all the factors of mind around one thing, you know. And for some of you it will be, uh, you know, some sport that you do where you, you have this, uh, this thing. Somebody will say, oh, when I run, suddenly there's just the running or when I sue, so, sue, so, for example, suddenly, whoops, you know, like, there's just this, there's just the movement, the precision. So these are like concentration practices. So the mind gathers around one small aspect of the universe, and it stays there. And in that, sometimes, you, and you might have felt this today, is in just giving attention to this, the mind can let go of not wanting this, one wanting that, all kinds of consideration, and it becomes really simple life. Breathing system, all attention giving to the breath. And in these we can find refuge. The world falls away, and there is just this kind of contentment of a quality connection with one event, the breath, again, for example. And on the path, this is very useful, because when we do this, suddenly the doubt falls away, the lack of energy falls away, the too much energy, the agitation falls away, the wanting something else, be somebody else, experience something else, the, 
the, the aversion towards what is there, my life, if I had another life, you kind of abandon all this and just, you could do this uh, walking back home tonight. Just put your complete attention in the stepping, stepping, stepping. In time, this is a practice, in time this can become an amazing refuge because suddenly we get out of moi, moi who didn't get what they wanted and moi who wonder what's going to happen to that moi, you know, and all these. And just be foot stepping, 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 or body breathing, breathing or hearing. So giving, we learn in this practice to give full attention to one event in order to seclude the mind from the difficult states of mind. Yeah? And so that's a good tool to have. It's good. I remember a few years back, I had the big um, uh, loss of a, a loved one. There was a, the end of a relationship that I, if you had asked, if anybody had asked my opinion in that deal, <laughs> I would have said, no, I don't want this to finish. But apparently I was not deciding <laughs> what was going to happen. So my heart was broken like crazy. And I was so happy that I had that particular teaching because every day, in the mess of my ripping open heart, bleeding, and you know, etc., I could actually take uh, some time every day and just go in the breath and just find some nourishment there, find some ref- being uh, leaving my ideas about my unworthiness and how I had screwed up or how bad the other one was for going away and all this. All this I could actually, all these that were ideas about the world that were really difficult to be in, I could actually abandon them for a few minutes and find some rest in just breathing, just breathing. So this is a really powerful thing. But this is one line, it's not the last line of defense, it's just one tool that we have to find some uh, freedom, some ease from difficult mind states. But it's momentary. It means that while I'm in the concentrated state, state, I don't have access to all the thoughts about myself and the world and what, how I will end up alone and you know all these difficult scenarios. So I'm protected from that, and it's good. But when the meditation finishes and I open my eyes, maybe not right away, sometimes, yes, exactly right away, <laughs> and sometimes slowly, kind of progressively over it, 10 or 15 minutes, <laughs> suddenly the ache and the heaviness comes back, you know, because the mind is still confused about stuff, you know, it still hasn't, uh, it's still resisting maybe, it's still holding on to another life that is not existing, you know, but still thinking that that life that is a generation of the mind, a creation of the mind, has more worth than the one that is happening now, you know, and it should have been that life that there's a mistake in the universe that gave me that life, you know. That it's that no, it's that one. It's that one. You know? It's, it's not this one. No, don't want. It's that one that is the good one. And you know, if there was a creator or there is where? Where? There, there, there. Where? Show me where. There's nowhere. It doesn't actually exist. <laughs> you know? But we're fooled like this. We really believe it does exist. I keep comparing the two and this one fails. You know? And so when the concentration, the concentration goes, suddenly I find myself in this life that I haven't learned how to be with, you know. So it's, and so the last uh, protection that we have, and which is a really good one, 
But they, the three of them are really important. But the, the, the good one, and that's why we're here, it's the, the, what we call wisdom. Wisdom or insight. Insight is a deep understanding of the nature of reality that frees the heart where loss, for example, can happen and it will be loss. There won't, you know, it will not be, it will probably not be pleasant. You know, it will be loss, but it will be a loss that is maybe has more space to it. It will be a great, great sadness, but that won't be like, oh, like, Maybe you recognize something like this. It will be uh, noticing the passing of things, but without the kind of taking it personal, for example, which is one of the ways, you know, like, why me? Why is this ease happening to me? You know, why is aging happening to me? Why is loss happening to me? There will be a recognition of the universality of that experience. Of course, this ease happens. It does. Of course, aging happens. Yeah. And so this is the, the last, uh, the, the, this is what we call uprooting. This is what we say is going to uproot the, the states of mind that, are, uh, that makes us suffer. Yeah? So it's not like momentarily hidden by, let's say, concentration. Uh, it's actually cleared up. And so that even the line, uh, the first line of defense that I named, of saying, like, I make rules for myself, you know, I say I'm going to be really careful not to break these rules. Actually, these rules, naturally, with wisdom, I wouldn't have to put them. There would be obvious ways to live. Suddenly, of course, I'm not going to lie, because I know that, for example, using the example I used earlier again, like, I want to be perceived in this way, so I'm going to rearrange plaster everything so I look like that and then get really stressful stressed because my whole construction is so funky it's not of course it's <laughs> not gonna it's not gonna last you know because it's it's built on sand <laughs> you know and so of course I know that deeply in my heart so I'm gonna r- immediately be able to face you know and say like yeah actually yeah that's what I did or that's who I am you know you you're seeing the flaws you know and my love is my worth is going to come from somewhere else it's going to come from i w- will have clarified my maybe for myself that the beauty is on upholding values you know and in in, in uh, valuing uh, uh, honesty and clarity and truth you know that this is where happiness lies you know not in being seen a certain way or getting that thing, you know, that I absolutely want. It's like, no, that thing is actually not going to provide absolutely. What's going to probably provide is the fact that I'm at peace with myself, you know, that I'm able to be in this world fully, you know, and gain access to things in a, in a wise way rather than in a cheeky way. Or in a and so... Um, And so the path of, uh, of um, practice, the path towards liberation from, uh, from what? Uh, from uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. Huh? That's one way to talk about nirvana. Nirvana is what? Is a mind that doesn't have greed in it. Like 
this belief that it, my happiness is only when I get that, you know, or hatred uh, in it, but great understanding, understanding uh, what the causality, for example, the fact that things happen because of causes, that things come together, that things are causal, conditioned. It takes a lot of listening to, to make that pattern kind of stand out in reality, because otherwise we use our, my preferences. This is what I would like, and the pattern doesn't follow that. You know? But by paying careful attention, I start to notice how things, cause, you know, how things are caused by other things. And in this way, for example, I find personally for myself that clinging causes stress. And that bringing great care to clinging reveal its stressful nature. And that letting go is, not, is, a, is also causal. Letting go of uh, clinging is, uh, happens when one sees clinging really well. So then one says, I hope you're still able to follow me here. Mm-hmm. But if I notice that, okay, I would like to let go. Everybody's telling me to let go. And I don't seem to let go. You know? Oh, it doesn't work like this. It's not just will. And the teaching seems to be saying, if you feel that letting go would be good, be very attentive to clinging. When the opposite of letting go, bring a lot of careful awareness to this when it's active. When the mind is like, or the heart is like, ah, no, I refuse that this happened, you know? Bring a lot of attention to this and notice how painful it is to say no to something that has already happened or is happening. You know? Notice, and it takes time, it's not that quick. Notice the holding, notice the holding. And at some point in there, there will be like, ah, that's so expensive or exhausting. You know? And whoops, then you'll notice, oh, I just saw how letting go happens. It happens by quality awareness, careful, compassionate awareness, not judgmental awareness, you know, like, let go, why don't you let go? (laughs) Talking to oneself. People tell you to let go, let go, that's enough now, get over it, you know. By paying close attention to this, one will notice, actually, that doesn't help so much. (laughs) Like, I'm paying attention to this, I keep doing it, and it actually doesn't help so much, it creates more hatred in oneself, you know. And so that's why we do this practice of sitting and paying attention. Because wisdom, it says, will come from paying careful attention, non-judgmental attention to what is actually happening. If you, for example, are a person that suffers from impatience and it creates trouble around you, you know, you bringing your violent impatience in the field, you know, how it doesn't usually help things to move along in a smooth way, <laughs> you know. So then the teaching is what? Bring, be really awake, not entranced by impatience. You see the difference? Like when we believe in him, I'm impatient, therefore it's justified, it's reality, I should be there like this, you know. No, be, become really aware. Oh, impatience is in that field here. Become really aware of it, how it makes the heart go like this, how it makes things become like that. This is not how it should be. Bring attention, and in that you'll make discoveries that will undo the patience, the, the impatience, will 
disentangled. That's the freedom of the Buddha. That's the nirvana. Nirvana is not being caught by impatience, but bringing maybe clarity in the field, or care, or, uh, you know, what what, uh, quality attention will reveal what is needed here. And maybe there's a need for making things move uh, faster, but it m- it m- might not be need to be tainted by hatred, which impatience has that in it. It hates what's happening, you know. So, is it possible to act from a different pa- place, where maybe there would be, uh, it wouldn't be like, oh, everything is fine. No, actually, we need to move, but the hatred would be removed from the field. So it needs a lot of attention for one to realize honestly that actually this is not helpful. My belief is that my impatience is actually helpful, but my clear attention is revealing to me that actually it, you know, it's costly because when I get home later, you know, I'm still worked up, you know, and all, you know, attached and caught, you know, and so. And so the main tool we have on this, uh, for this practice of wisdom, of uprooting misunderstanding and uh, habits of mind that are creating trouble for ourselves and others, is an honest, caring attention. Questions, comments, objections? <laughs> Um, I found myself lately <clears throat> um, experiencing kind of a recurring um, patterns. Like for the last couple of weeks, especially, I have two little kids. <clears throat> when I'm sort of trying to get everything organized to get out the door, I find myself feeling really frustrated um, and impatient. And I get into these states, and often I tell myself I'm in a situation where I can't kind of just go out onto the balcony or take a moment to myself yeah. to get sort of grounded in the center. Um, but it also like in, it invokes or evokes, provokes a lot of memories from the past. And I find myself feeling the, um, the desire to almost enter into dialogue with these, these memories and try it like it almost serves like, it feels like they're serving a protective function. So I almost want to like drill down and get into dialogue with myself and offer myself some compassion and healing, but at earlier layers of the self. And I don't know if this is like a philosophical thing, but I, I feel a strong pull to do that. But I feel like somehow it might be in conflict with the spirit of, of mindfulness, which just being present with what's here yeah. and now, you know? So uh-huh. yeah. I just wonder if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, if um, <clears throat> I would say that you could do a kind of something that would be a middle path there that would be actually y- useful to both practices, which is, and I don't know if you can, uh, how much you can afford this at 7.37 <laughs> with the kids and like having to get on with the program, but there's a way that one can actually... Uh, bring memories and associations of mind and enter a dialogue like with this, like this, but bring a lot of mindfulness in the field in the sense that, uh, let's say you can actually, you want to rethink of something that happened or memories. The way I'd like to do this is to actually bring a lot of attention to the body. So first you name also the compassion, so bring it, so have the clear intention to be, go there with care with care, with compassion. So 
So that's the first thing. The other would be to allow the memories to come, but also be it embodied, you know, like um, I was describing earlier, Catherine McGee. So that's the kind of thing she'll do. It's like, oh my God, I have this memory. Oh my God, like it's so activated. I feel it. Like where, where do I feel it? So bodily awareness, you know. So it, it is a kind of uh, mindfulness. So it, it's present time awareness that allows uh, memories, associations of mind, thoughts to come in, but in the field of the now. So the field of the now is not forgotten. Sometimes when we think we leave the now, the body, etc., we're like, oh my God, this happened, I can't believe this happened, I have to do this about this, you know, and it's all like projections. And now we say, oh my God, this happened. <gasps> Just thinking about it, my heart contracts, or oh, it makes my heart like this, you know. So a lot of present time awareness. And one of the ways you can check if it's going well is if you can actually stop at any time your reflection, your contemplation, to f- just feel. And often the mind will, and this happened, and I need to do this, and that. you know, and if you can say, can we just be with the breath here? Uh, to me, that's a sign that I'm not caught in the thinking process, but actually uh, contemplating, yeah? And, you know, what I'm presenting here, of course, we're going to do this very... It's not like we shouldn't be impatient ever or should have, you know, hatred in the heart. These will come. Resistance will come. This, This is totally part of the human experience. And we want to be aware of it. We want to... Uh, not not be uh, totally drawn in it, but as much as possible, know that this is happening. This path is not uh, impeccable. You know, it's it's much more messy than that. <laughs> you know? So, I have a question. Following what um, you said, it's like when you're in a situation, all this is happening, but you don't have time to stop and yeah. reflect and just, you know, it's like just even go within uh, to be, to meet yourself or whatever. Yeah. What? Do you feel? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And this is why we practice a lot around the crisis moment, like huge crisis of life, transition, changing crisis, but also like daily little crisis that can happen. That's why we want to practice a lot around when the mind can actually remember to be embodied, you know. Because the more you do, the more you're there while you walk back and forth from the subway station, for example, the more chances you have to be in your body when you're home and suddenly reactivity erupts in your mind, you know. If you've been there before, you might notice that it's actually, ah, and, and so you've, you know, you practice a lot around so that there's more chance of them, you know, suddenly becoming awake to what you're moved by. Because that's the problem, is that when we're suddenly, we move, you know, and on the other side we wake up, like, oh my God, like I was so reactive, I was not aware, I said this and this and that, and now I have to go through regret and justification and hiding and cold shoulder, and you know, like, we're going to have a three days of that, you know. <laughs> And so, but whenever one can wake up is a good time, you know. And never, never judgmental mind. That's like one of the basic rules in this practice is even if I wake up on the other side of having been unskillful, I need to just take a gun and say like, wow, that was extremely unskillful. I don't want to add hatred to that. Mm-hmm. There's a possibility 
for a human being to say what I did was unskillful and not add the layer of self-hatred. That's also the practice to say, I'm actually going to be honest here, but not abusive of myself, you know. This was not helpful, this was harmful for myself and others, you know. And so, okay, so now what? How do we do now? Not having the hatred, but also, again, everywhere you can. This is why, for me, it's absolutely important that I'm there when I open doors and touch handles and mm-hmm. cut carrots and because I'm going to hear something that's not going to be what I want to hear at some point or I'm going to see something and I'm going to get triggered and I want to have build that muscle of being there so much that I can actually take it in or be just like shaken before I speak you know and then remember like okay I value respect I value not shutting down I value you know whatever is our habitual way For some of us, it's lashing out. For some of us, it's mm-hmm. paralyzing or shutting down or collapsing, you know. Is it, uh, is it okay? I mean, it's, it's you just like you're with whatever is happening and then you can tell whatever emotions is uh, or thoughts or, okay, I'll sit with you later. Yeah, I mean, whatever you works. Yeah, If you say, okay, I can't process this right now. I'm really aware of this. And now I can't. The situation doesn't allow for me to, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to try to be with this. But then if one can remember, and that's the difficulty, is yeah. if one can remember, okay, you know, I'm under the spell of a strong emotion, so I'm not seeing clearly because strong emotion alter perceptions. Yes. The other one suddenly went from being a friend and an ally and a partner to being an enemy, you know. And it seems really clear that they're after me and they're an enemy. But I'm under the spell of that very strong mind state. So the world, it's like I took a pill, you know, and I'm under the spell. And it looks like that, and it looks like I have to go really strongly about this. And maybe I don't have to go so strongly about this, you know. And so then if one can remember, it's okay, I'm being activated right now. Let's proceed very uh, carefully, you know. And for some of us, we know that our tendency is to not speak. So it might be like, love, you're going to have the idea not to speak. And maybe it'll be good to speak. You know, So let's be awake here. Because maybe it's going to be terrifying. But maybe it's important to speak. Because we know that tendency to not. And some of us <laughs> will speak very quickly. You know, and some of us <laughs> need to remember, oh, maybe a little patient usually is like the thing afterwards you realize that could have been helpful on the path, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. And so for me, body awareness is often uh, really good because if I've practiced a lot of being embodied, I'm going to be suddenly become aware of heartbeat, of hands like this, or attention here, and it's going to be the signs. And I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm triggered. It's My doorway was um, uh, sensory awareness. You know, mm-hmm. So it might not be for you, but that's definitely one of the good ones. Because you know? the body is always there. It's always telling you what's going mm-hmm. on. If you listen in, you'll feel. The, you know. Thank you interesting that you find Catherine McGee so to enjoy her style of delivery because you have that. <laughs> you do that. Maybe it's I've narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> But I can never find that. Uh, so thank you. <laughs>
thank you for the opportunity because I know I wouldn't have come here for all these years if there wasn't that in you as well. Uh, your body, yeah, right. very expressive. And those moments when you're not sure what the word is and you go in and you find it and then you come back. Mm-hmm. So, mm. good. <laughs> so it's, it's maybe something I value and uh, is reinforced and, uh, or I appreciate. <laughs> Good, and we all have different ways to experience the world and cognize it. You know, so if if that version doesn't ring for you, you know, there's, uh, there's some of us are much more logical, and my it's true that my intelligence is much more kinesthetic. Or, uh, you know, when I remember doing tests years and years ago, I would say like, yeah, you're 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 an embodied uh, being. You know. And I come from the world of dance and theater. It's like yes. all my studies mm-hmm. have been done in the body. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. That's your nickname, the Okay, so today that's kind of um, the form that the fourth noble truth uh, took the way it was presented and you know if you research more you might find that the fourth noble truth is often presented as the eightfold path with eight points to the path uh, and so there's many ways to present it and uh, and today my hope is that there was one or two impressions something you can go back home and say I actually want to explore this more in action you know there's this little thing that Pascal named that I I want to bring interest to that. And often it's a field where, you know, it's kind of, it was bland, it was not outstanding, or it's a field that is uncomfortable. And now I'm actually thinking, it's uncomfortable, but I want to be awake in that, you know, I don't want to avoid that discomfort. If it comes, that reactivity, that space of confusion or not knowing, I actually want to bring the light of attention in there to see what I can discover for myself. And then maybe have a different conclusion at the end. Actually, impatience is welcome. You know, it's onward leading for me and for others. One could have that, uh, that uh, make that discovery. I'd be curious to hear about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I'm really struck by the value of sangha as we sit here, because when you say certain things in a funny way or in a serious way or a personal way. Um, People chuckle or they nod or they elbow their Mm -hmm. friend next door. Um, And I think it reminds, it's helpful to me to be reminded that we're all in the same (laughs) struggle, that that it brings a great sense of humanity to Mm. all the issues, that when you're alone in meditating or alone in uh, Mm -hmm. reading, it's a very different experience. So I was just struck by how having the Sangha to put all the information in is very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. So thank you for everyone. And even here there's a feel of family, you know? <laughs> like when I come, like, wow, a lot of the, the regular uh, faces, you know, the same people are here. And it's, uh, it's good to travel together. And you might know this or you might not, but the, at some point, uh, Ananda, the... Uh, the good friend and um, assistant of the Buddha uh, asked the Buddha. He said, uh, "He said, is that true that uh, somebody asked me and I s- 
if um, spiritual friendship was important on the path. And uh, Ananda said, and I said it was very important. So is that true? He asked the Buddha, the all-knowing, you know. Is that true that it's very important? And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, it's not very important. It is the path. There's no path outside of uh, spiritual friendship, you know. And so that really puts it... Uh, and this is what's happening here, you know. We're, we're sharing spiritual... We're considering life. We're stopping to say, like, hey, let's look at how we behave, how we hold the world, how we, uh, how we experience it, and how we can do this in a way that would be less harmful for ourselves and others. So let's wake up together. So thank you so much. And thank you, Joanne, for making this uh, possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe let's take just a moment here, if you want to close your eyes, or <coughs> just to um, maybe let the words uh, dissolve a little bit and the presence, uh, the embodied presence be uh, known, noticed, experienced. May our practice um, protect us from uh, outer and inner dangers, and may our practice also uh, Help us offer protection to others from our, um, from our the ways we can act or speak or think that uh, or be that uh, can create trouble for others. So may our practice be for our freedom and for everyone's freedom. No one excluded here. so much for your consideration and practice. So we'll see you maybe in the next month. Huh? Thank you for your help in putting me in the chairs and blankets Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.